you want to find uh, the book of Ezra, as we uh, were not here last week, but uh, began the book of Ezra, chapter 7, and we began to talk about who Ezra was, and how God had called him, and how God had used him, and we looked at some things that are very important about the Word of God, and teaching the Word of God, and and all of those things, and... um, in verse 11, and we're not going to read this whole letter just for the sake of time, but uh, in verse 13, I want to talk to you tonight, just a, a little bit of an introduction. Uh, it says that I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with them. Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, God's purpose and plan for your life, my life, for our church, and for your family. But the first thing I want you to see here before we establish that is, is it says who volunteer to go. Uh, the Christian faith is not one of compulsion. It's not one where we force you to be saved or die, uh, like the Muslim faith. It's not one where we uh, ask you to believe or to be ostracized from the community. You can be an atheist and get a job and go to work and live a normal life due to religious freedom. But I want you to hear this tonight, that these people had been led by God to volunteer. And I hear this a lot from people, uh, that we need more servants in church, we need more workers, or I wish people would do this or with that. And uh, tonight you need to know something, that it's the Lord that convicts. It's the Lord that stirs up in our hearts. And so, tonight you need to know something that you have to want to serve God as a believer. Uh, You can do nothing. You can sit around and be absolutely useless. That's not what God wants from you. But on the other hand, it's not my job to stand up and force you to do something. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the last seven or eight weeks I have no longer been coming around going Boy, I'd love for you to sing in the choir, for you to sing in the choir. I'm trying not to do that anymore because you should know that God wants you to make a joyful noise. You should know that God wants you to lead by example. And it's not uh, with the right heart if I have to go up there and say, boy, we sure could use some more people in the choir. I mean, you don't sing very good. You don't look very good, but we just need bodies up there, right? And you take up more space. No, that's, that's not because we see here that they had volunteered to go. And not only that, in the very uh, verse 16, it says, And whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the provinces of Babylon, along with the what? Free will offering of the people. He says, I'm not going to force you to go, and I'm not going to force you to give. Alright? And as a pastor, uh, it is not my job to force you to give financially. The Spirit of God and the Word of God tell you to give and to give generously. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. And uh, I've heard people say, I don't like for pastors to preach about money. Well, I don't care. It's in the Bible. All right? And the Bible talks exactly how we're to give and, and how we're to view giving. And so what we see here is they made a choice to go. They made a choice to give. And look what it says here in verse 18. And whatever seems good to you and to your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and gold, do it according to the will of God. He even says there are certain things you have to spend this money on, but outside of that, just spend it on what you feel is best. 
He's giving them this decision to make. And it goes on in verse 20 and says, And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. He says, if you need more, you can spend what I have as the king of Babylon. Now some of you are thinking, boy, I'd love to have access to a king's riches. Well, I'm glad that you thought that because the Bible says that our father is the owner of what? The cattle on a thousand hills. And really everything is his, right? And so this idea is this principle. But it goes on in verse 23 and says, Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the kings and his son? He is thinking, the king's thinking, I'm going to buy God's favor by being good to them. His heart wasn't in, I want to honor God. It was just, I want the blessing of God. And friends, many times there will be people that will be a blessing to you and to the church, but yet don't have a love for God. They'll think, well, I can buy God's love, I can buy God's favor, uh, and all those things. But look in verse 24. Like I said, I really want to just kind of really jump through this letter, and, and I think we're going to come back and study it a little more in depth in the coming weeks. But it says, Also we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethaneums, and the servants of the house of God. That is why. Uh, tax exemption for churches is actually not just a governmental thing. God says right here uh, through this writer of Scripture that the king says don't tax them. They need to be about doing the Lord's business. And uh, But verse 28 finishes with this. So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. And so all of this is giving this desire that Ezra is going he wants people that want to go. I don't know if you know this or not, but as a married couple, you have to have two people who want it to work. You have to have two people who want to raise children God's way. You cannot have one person who wants to manage money God's way and another in your home say, I'll just spend it on whatever I want. You have to be in what? Agreement. And the Bible talks about that. How can two or three agree unless they walk together? And so tonight I want to talk to you about this because what we see in the Old Testament is still applicable to the church. As a church, there will be many people who want to go where God is leading. There will be many people who don't want to go where God is leading. They just will be drugged along. And then there are other people who don't want to go and won't be drugged, but will not go. And tonight I want to talk to you about that tonight because each one of us can fit into that category. We can fit into the category of God, I want you to use me, and I want to join you, God, in what you're doing in my life. Or you can say, God, my life is good the way it is, and I really don't want to do anything else. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want my face to be stretched. God, I'm not going to do anything. And then there will other be people who will not just deny, but they will completely and totally run from it. You've probably seen a kid in the store. Their mom and dad is telling them, we're going to the toys. We're going to the toys. And most of those kids in Walmart are doing what? 
They are so happy. They are running. They're exciting because that is where they want to go. Now, there are other kids, as you walk through the, the toy aisle, that your parents are saying, you can look, but you can't touch. And uh, I don't know how, why parents do that to their children, but we do. And those kids are standing there like faces up against the toy going, smells like plastic. Oh, I just want to touch it so bad. And then there are other kids when their parents say it's time to go that they say no. And you literally watch them dragging them out of the toy aisle at Walmart like this, screaming, my parents hate me! And tonight I want to talk to you about that because if we are going to accomplish what God wants for us, we cannot spend all of our time dragging people who don't want to go. And we can't spend all of our time pushing people who don't want to move. We have to go with who God wants and gives us a desire to go. And so starting in chapter 8, verse 1, I want to read this to you, all of this list of names, and if you like to be entertained, you can listen to me mispronounce them. Starting in verse 1, it says, These are the heads of their father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Xerxes. Of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom, and the sons of Ithamal, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattush, of the sons of Shechaniah, of the sons of Farash, Zechariah, and Regis with him were 150 males. Of the sons of Pathath Moab, Elohani, son of Zariah, and with him 200 males. Of the sons of Shechaniah, Ben-Jazeel, and with him 300 males. Of the sons of Aden, Edeb, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 males. Of the sons of Elam, Jesha, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 males. Of the sons of Sheftai, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 males. And of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 males. Of the sons of Shelomith, Ben-Joshaphiah, and with him 160 males. Of the sons of Bebah, Zechariah, the son of Bebah, and with him 28 males. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakaton, and with him 110 males. Of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Eliphet, Jael, and Shemaiah, and with them 60 males. Also the sons of Bigvah, Uthiah, and Zadub, and with them 70 males. You say, why in the world would you skip a letter but yet read those names? And if you're taking notes tonight, this is why. People matter. People matter. I can tell you over the last 10 years of being a pastor, there are some people who I love and appreciate so much. They have been good to me. They've helped me. They've prayed for me. They've loved me. They have been nothing but a blessing. I can tell you there are other people that call 10 Mile Home that are neither positive nor negative. They're just here. Show up on Sunday morning. Don't cause no trouble. Don't do anything. They just they come. They, they're here. And they leave. And they matter to God. And I appreciate them. And then there are other people who I could say haven't necessarily been a blessing or haven't been in the middle, but have been a great burden. You say, Jake, I cannot believe you're calling people a burden. I'm just being honest with you tonight. 
Some of you say, Jake, you're a burden to me. I won't disagree with that. But tonight I want to show you this, that even though we see here a list of people, why do you think Ezra wrote them? First, because the Spirit of God led him to write them. All right, Scripture is inspired by God and not man. But I think it is this. People matter. You matter. That is why we have what we call a membership role. You are on the role if you're a member here. Why? Because you matter. And if you're not a member here, I have a list that I pray for each and every one of you and your families. Every Sunday, our staff each has a little piece of paper with each family on it, and we write whether or not you're here. And sometimes we miss it, as Mary found out this week. I think Selena called her to check on her, and she's like, I was at church Sunday. I don't know. We miss sometimes. But why? Because you matter to God. And the reason is this. God has you here for a reason. I don't know what that reason is. Maybe today you're here because someone else wants you to be here. Maybe today you're here because there's nowhere else to be. Maybe you're here today because you believe that God has a purpose for your life and you want to be a part of accomplishing that. But what I want you to see from this and the list of these people is that these were the people who were going to help. These were the people who had committed or volunteered to join Him. And tonight, I want you to know that you can make a decision as a believer to be a volunteer. I'm going to be a servant. God, I'm going to be used. God, I'm going to work for You. I'm going to honor You. God, I want to make a difference with my life. You can be one of those people. You can be the exact opposite. That You could say, Jake, I'm disgruntled. I'm unhappy. I don't want to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part of the problem. Or maybe tonight you're here and you say, Jake, I just don't really care. I'm just good where I'm at. Any one of those is an option. But tonight I want you to know that you are not just a number. You matter to God. And I think it's interesting here that it says with him 300 males and with him 50 males. And you say, Jake, it literally says just that they're a number. But I can promise you this. When you go to line two there, or line three there, that Zechariah knew the 150 people with him. And if you go on down the list there, Adad, the son of Jonathan, knew the 50 males that were with him. And so even though it sometimes seems like in a big group that you are forgotten. I hear that from people all the time. Jake, we're not coming to a big church like that because we just don't matter. It's just not true. And so how we do that here is a couple of different ways. One, I know everyone's name for the most part. Pretty much everybody that comes here, I know their name. But what I can tell you this is I don't know some of you as well as I know others of you. I wish that was the case. I wish that we could spend every Friday and Saturday night hanging out, spending time together, and all of those things, but it's just not possible. And so how do we handle and care and make sure that you matter? Well, I am glad that you asked tonight because I have been dying to tell you. One, we divide you up into smaller groups. We have what we call deacons, and they are supposed to. Now, I'm not saying they always do a great job of it. They are supposed to be praying for you, checking on you, and they are supposed to know you as well. And they each have somewhere in the neighborhood between seven 
to 16 families. Six to 16 families. And so, I might not know everything about you, but they should know more about you than I do. You say, Jake, well that's great, but I don't even know who my deacon is. Well, there's another way that we do that. It's called Sunday school. There's a group of people in our church from six, six people to um, 40 people in a Sunday school class then that teacher should know you. You say, Jake, I don't go to Sunday school. That's your own fault. All right? <laughs> I can't make you. and I, I, won't, I won't force you to. It's a decision you have to volunteer to. And I say all that tonight because if you're here, it might not seem like you matter. Tonight it might not seem like you play a big part. But tonight I want you to know that God knows you. We want to know you. And we want you to know that you have a purpose and a plan that God has created you for. And it looks different for each and every one of us. And that's what we see here in these families that are returning to Ezra. They made a choice to be there. They made a choice to be used by God. Thoughts? Questions? Alright. So what is the purpose that God gave these people and God gives us? It starts there in verse 15. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of the Levi there. Then I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshullam, leaders, and also for Jorab and Elthnot, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Ido, the chief man at the place, Kashphia, and told them that they should say to Ido and his brother the Nethnion at the place, Cassiphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of God. Then, by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, of the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherbia, with his sons and brother, eighteen men, and Hashabiah, and with him, Jeshiah, the son of Merari, his brothers and their sons, twenty men. Whew. Also of the Nethium, who David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, two hundred and twenty Nethanim, all of them were designated by what? Now don't miss that. By name. These people were sent to serve, but yet they found that there was something else they needed. There were more servants with different skills, different callings than they had. And they asked, and who provided it said there? And it said, the good hand of our God was upon us. You see, God was providing everything they needed to serve Him and to worship Him and to honor Him. And that is true in the New Testament. Tonight, you need to know something that not all of us have the same gifts. Not all of us have the same callings. God made you fearfully and wonderfully. You are made with a purpose and a plan for God to use you in your life. And tonight, many of us don't like the way we were created. Some of us don't like the gifts that we have. I have no ability to play the guitar. I just don't, I can't play it. I'd love to play it, help out Jamie on Sunday mornings, but can't do it. Just, I, I don't have it. It's not my gift. It's not something I want to learn. I don't have it. But yet you might have that gift. I do not have 
uh, a lot of spiritual gifts. Administration is not a spiritual gift that I have. I hate to administer. Being a supervisor is nothing that I want to do. I literally try to avoid and get out of every staff meeting we have. If there's any reason to cancel it, I'm canceling it. Because I don't like administration. I don't mind the people that are there, but I don't like the administration side of it. And so we hired someone to be the administrative assistant. Because why? It's not my gift. It's not my, it's not something I'm strong at. And so I know that. And so yet God created someone else to do that. And so tonight I really want you to know this, that if God has given you a desire to be a part of a local church, whether it's this one or another one, know that God does not just send you there to do nothing. You say, Jake, I've been a Christian so long, I'm at that point where it's time for me just to sit and soak. The Bible doesn't teach that. God wants you to serve. Uh, God wants you to be wanting to be used. You have to have a desire. God, how can you use me? And it says here in these verses, all these different names and all these different people, but those last seven words, all of them were designated by name. That doesn't mean to say, well, there's just some guy over there, we'll just use him. Or, well, there's just some random person over there, we'll use it. No, they knew who they were, they knew about them, and that they had a purpose or a skill or a talent that God had given them. It's kind of like a few uh, months ago before they started the nursery rotation, uh, Tony was in there by herself during Sunday school, and so a lot of weeks she'd have a lot of kids, and so I would go in and work at the nursery during Sunday school. And uh, I don't even change my own kids' poopy diapers. I'm not changing some kids in the nursery. No offense. Um, I'm... At the point, I, was, I wasn't even getting in the floor playing with my own kids. I'm not getting in the nursery playing with your kids. I was in there for moral support. That was it. And if someone died, I could go out and get the security people. That was why I was in there. It's the truth, isn't it? And uh, it's not my gift. I, I, like I said, I'm not going to hurt a child, but I'm not much help either, okay? But yet, that was something that was necessary. And so I, I filled the slot, but my heart was not being in the nursery. I can tell you, I did not come to church going, I hope whoever's supposed to be in there doesn't show up today. I just want to be in there so bad today. Didn't happen. But yet there are people who God has given a gift to love and to care and to nurture children. And being in there is exactly where they should be. Some, some people are exactly the opposite. Some people have no desire to pray in front of other people. You would be surprised on a Sunday at the end of service when I begin to look, how many heads go like this? Lord, please don't let him call on me. Please don't let him call on me. Or this. Start talking to their wife like that's going to stop me from calling on them. Well, that's just not there. They're not comfortable with that being out loud in front of people. Or if I was to ask them to come up and teach Wednesday night Bible study, many people would, would, would have a meltdown, right? They'd be nervous, they'd be sick. They, that's not their gift. It's not their calling. But yet each different gift that God has given you, and I want you to hear this, you've got to first want to use it. And two, you have to know that God has something specific for you. All right. Well, you have to trust Him as you step out in faith. This is the third thing, third thing I want to show you tonight. In verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ava, 
that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek for him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road. But could we have spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayers. So what happens is they get ready to go on this journey and they realize there are some people out there that will probably kill us or probably try to attack us. We're a slow-moving caravan here, right? It's not like we're a lean, mean, fighting machine. And he realizes, I just got done talking about how good our God was, how he was going to protect us, take care of us, and fight for us. It'd be kind of dumb for me to turn around and say, you care to send some men to protect us? He sees the hypocrisy in this. And so what he does is he has them to pray, to humble themselves and beg God to intervene. And look what it says there in those last four words. He answered our prayer. He provided what they need. And as a church, we have to never quit humbling ourselves and praying. You might say, well, Jake, we have more people than we could ever need. Why would we need to pray for more? Why would we need to pray for more servants? Because we never need to get to a place where we think we can handle all of God's blessings on our own. We should want to be praying for more nursery workers because God blesses us with an abundance of babies that we have to have a second nursery. We should be praying for an abundance of children's Sunday school because God sends us so many young families and so many children that we have to have more teachers. We should be praying and begging God to help us to be confident in our faith. That way, when people are being saved, that we are confident to help talk with them and pray with them about the decision they are making. We ought to be praying for vacation Bible school workers because we ought to be expecting and hoping that God would send us two to three to four times as many children that need love and the gospel this year as He did last year. You see, the reason we stop praying for God to send workers and for God to send people is because we're all maxed out. We're all blessed out. And what he says here is we're taking a step of faith, going where God wants us to go, doing what God asks us to do, and we need God's provision. As a church, I ask myself that all the time as I pray for our church. Ten Mile is not for everyone. And I can tell you over the last ten years, God has sent us hundreds of people. And I have been thankful for every single one of them. I can tell you that over the last 10 years, God has led other people out of here. And even though they are gone, I am still thankful for each and every one of them. I can tell you that there are great joys dealing with people, and there is great sadness dealing with people. Some of you tonight probably are at this point. I'm all people out. My social battery is empty. I don't want to serve in Sunday school. I don't want to work in the nursery. I don't want to do the front door greeting because people are people. But tonight I want you to know something. If God designated His servants by name and God has a purpose and a place for us to serve, who do you expect us to serve? God expects us to serve others. Jesus said, I did not come into this world to be served, but to serve. 
And so as a church, we have to recognize that. The church is not about me. It's not about what I can get or what I can gain. Those are important. But truly being where God wants me to be is, God, what can I give? God, what can I do for your glory? God, how can I be used by you? And that's what these people were asking. God, protect us, bless us, be with us as we go. And so thoughts. I think it's interesting here that Ezra made up his mind that as he was going, he was going with people who wanted to go. As a pastor, I can tell you that I've not always been very good at that. <laughs> I've not always been very good at just trusting that God will send and give a desire for people to do what they should do. I want to drag people. I want to, to push people. I, I want to force people to be where I think God wants them to be. And something that I have really had to rely on over the last few years is, God, you know what you're doing. God, you know who you're sending. You know who you're calling. You know who you're working in. And God, I, I don't. And I have to trust that. I have to trust your increases. I have to trust your subtractions. God, I have to trust that you know what's best. But it still doesn't make it any easier. Because as we go to accomplish God's purpose, there are always fears that creep in. Ezra should have known that God was going to take care of them. right? God is the one that wanted them to go back. He's the one that had done all of this. But yet, when it came time to step out in faith, what happens? There's fear. And so tonight I want you to know that, that there will be fear when God asks you to step out in faith. There will be fear when God asks us as a church to do more than we've done before. There will be those fears and doubts that enter our mind. But we must be willing to what? Humble ourselves and pray. Because as we've looked here, the fourth thing I want to show you is the ultimate goal of these men and women, and these men especially, is to get to a place, because he says there, don't miss this, in verse uh, verse 21, from him the right way for us and our little ones. So it's not just a generation we're talking about. We're talking about multiple generations. Multiple generations. Is that they are going to worship God so that a generation of people can worship Him. Verse 24, it says, And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priest, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, the articles, the offering for the house of God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all of Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their hands six hundred and fifty talents of silver, Silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth of, of thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priest and the Levites and the heads of of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem, in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. He says we're going to worship. 
and you have this responsibility to keep this in good order as we go to worship. And I think about this in a lot of different ways. One, we know that in the New Testament that these objects are not holy, right? We know that, that, that we now live in a new temple, right? The, the, that the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a, a, a temple like the Old Testament Jews did to go worship. You, you don't come into church on Sunday and drink out of a gold cup or, a, or, or, or things like that. The vessels are not, they're just vessels. But in the Old Testament, it was different. There was a, there was a symbolism, there was a, was a sacredness of that, and, and so we see that. But what we see here is that they were all to do what? To be preparing themselves for when they worshipped. And when they began to worship God. And tonight I want you to know that, that each and every one of us have that same plan and purpose that God has for our life, to worship Him. God wants us to worship Him corporately, which we do on Sundays, Sunday nights. God wants us to worship Him as a family, as a husband and a wife. God wants me to worship Him as individually. And I think it's important him here to see that He says, watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers. He says, take good care of them until you have to give an account for them. I don't want you to miss this because this is probably the most important part. You and I are going to have to give an account. As an individual, I'm going to have to give an account. The Bible says for everything done in this body and every idle word, I will give an account. I will have to give an account for the kind of husband that I am to my wife. I will have to give an account for the type of father I am. I will have to give an account for the pastor that I am. The Bible says that a pastor who preaches the Word of God is, is worthy of double honor or double judgment. It's just what it says. And those things matter. And tonight, I don't know what God has entrusted you with, but I want you to know this. God will hold you accountable for it. The gifts that He has given you, while you might not think they're important, or you might not think that you have time to use them, God will one day ask how you used those gifts. God's going to ask you how you spent your money that He gave you. Your time. I think that time is the number one most wasted resource that I have ever seen. I hate these with more than anything, and I hate almost anything electronic. My wife can tell you I hate video games. I hate video game consoles. I, hate, I just... We have more fights in our house about our kids on them things than anything. Hey, television, YouTube, I hate it. You say, Jake, you should be a Mennonite. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to go that route. I don't know. But because this one simple thing, I think of all the time I have wasted in my life. All the time I wasted years ago playing video games. It, it, it was fun, but it has profited what? Nothing. All the hours I have set in front of a television and ate and added to this temple. <laughs> For what? I mean, I love Fox News just as much as anybody. But it doesn't edify me. It causes my temper to go up. And my blood pressure to go up. And how many times could I have benefited and been more productive if I would have just what? Spent some time in God's Word. Now, I'm not saying you can't watch television. I'm not saying you can't own a television. Please don't do that. All right. Don't. 
I'm just telling you my personal struggle is wasting time on those things. How many of you, you don't have to be honest, have ever opened up your phone and uh, begin to creep on someone else's Facebook page and then something else happened and something, and you look down and you just wasted 30 minutes. Just, just been just doing nothing. Except, oh, I love that picture. Oh, those are pretty flowers. Oh, look at, look at that. Oh, they lost a two. Look at that. Oh, look at that. Isn't that wrong with that? Especially if you're on the bathroom. I saw the other day where the time people spend in the bathroom <laughs> has went from minutes to over a half an hour. And it's not because things have changed. It's this, right? And so, uh, you never know how much time you've got, right? And, uh, and so tonight I really want you to see that, that God is going to hold us accountable. As a church, God is going to hold us accountable with how we use the money and the time and the talents that He's given us. And that's very important tonight when we look at this chapter that I don't want us to miss because, uh, oh, I cannot think of the movie that it comes from. And it's probably not even a movie I should be quoting. But uh, uh, it says, you have been weighed, measured, and you have been found wanting. Does anybody know what that's from? Nice tale. Yeah, but it's from Night's Tale, but it is from, yeah. Uh, it's that's the mini, mini tickle person. Huh? That's the mini, mini tickle person that was written on the wall by the hand. It is, but that's also in a movie as well, right? And I, I forgot all about it being from Daniel. It's in the movie, but at least it was. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I always think about that movie, right? But that is so true that we are going to have to give an account. And I think that most of us, if we're honest tonight, we, we live that, that there is. There's not any consequences, that there is no accountability, but there will be for each and every one of us, and it will all be tied back to how we worship God, how we serve God, not for your salvation, because you cannot worship God and serve Him enough for your salvation, but in a reward sense, God will hold us accountable. Thoughts? All right, last thing, and I'll be done since you're... Overly talkative tonight. Whew. We see that a good plan comes together. Starting in verse 31. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. And He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we went to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noabai, the son of Benui. And the number and weight of everything, all the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive who have come from the captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and twelve male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's uh, satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. They worshipped. We see that it all worked out according to God's purpose and plan. 
And I think this is important because many times as we serve God, when we're in the middle of the battle or we're in the middle of the difficulty or when our marriage isn't good or when things aren't the way that we should be, think they should be, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to think that God has forsaken us. I uh, went and uh, visited a, a family today for a couple hours uh, uh, here from church. And, and he said, Jake, I just want to tell you one thing. And he said, you don't have to listen. To, I know you don't listen well to most people. But he said, I just want to tell you one thing today. And he said, I just don't want you to get discouraged. He said, discouragement never comes from the Lord. It either comes from your flesh or from Satan. He said, you have to trust that God has a purpose. God has a plan. And that God is working everything out. And you have to trust Him as you journey. And I thought, well, that's a cheesy church answer. Of course I know that you have to trust Him. You know, that's what I'm thinking. And, uh, and as I was sitting there, I thought, well, maybe you should come teach my sermon tonight, you know, uh, since that's where we're going to be. But it's very true. I think all of us experience discouragement. Sometimes it's internal because we feel that we are a failure, that we're not good enough to do what God wants us to do. Sometimes our discouragement comes from other people, relationships, and people let us down that we never thought would let us down. Sometimes discouragement comes because of a situation that's very difficult and it seems like it is insurmountable. But whether it is in your personal life, whether it is in your marriage, or whether it is as a church, you have to trust that God knows what He's doing and that God will get you to where He wants you to be and accomplish what He wants you to accomplish. And so I really think that's important for us uh, as a church, for us as individuals, and as, as families who struggle along life's merrier way. Um, and if you thought the last couple weeks were difficult, um, next week's going to be even more fun, just so you know. And uh, intermarriage with pagans. So uh, if you really want to be offended, just come on back next week. Uh, if you don't want to be, I, I guess you can still come back anyway. But... Uh, but we start to see in the next couple of weeks about how even though God had blessed them and they were so favored by God that as soon as they get back to the land, they begin to drift from where God wants them to be and how common that is in our struggles.